We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Slightly delayed this week, but hey, that's how it goes sometimes. Paul and Elliot will be discussing the nil-nil draw at home to Middlesbrough. Disappointing it was, frustrating it was too, but at least it happened on a weekend where our rivals drew, and Man United hilariously lost 4-0 at Jose Mourinho's old club, which picked me up somewhat, I must say. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. Back after reading. Arsene Wenger celebrates his birthday with a cup full of Jose Mourinho's tears. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Uh, probably would be better suited, better served, discussing Chelsea Man United than Arsenal Middlesbrough, but this is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. And in uh, relation to the incredibly dull, scoreless draw we had with Middlesbrough, we have an incredibly dull lineup for you today. As Tim is gone, it's just me and Paul. Hello, Paul. woo Exactly. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. We're going to break down all the goals from the game. This has been the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. You can... No. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Paul, quick word about uh, Jose Mourinho at Manchester United. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? Uh, it's I, fucking great. It karma's word, a bitch, isn't it? Does it need to be that quick? I spent about 12 hours on on Twitter working on it. So well, I read every article. I'm listening to every podcast. You know, it's funny. Like, there are very few scenarios where Chelsea win can make me happy. But, like, I know. you have to admit, there's no John Terry in the lineup there. There's no True. Cesc Fabregas in the lineup there. And yeah. Mourinho's not there. And they're beating the piss out of him. And we already beat them. So we don't even have to feel bad about any results with them. I mean... 
it really is great to watch. And I think Schadenfreude is a big part of what makes football unique. You know, I, I can honestly say that some of my highest highs during a football season come from the lowest lows of our rivals. Um, and there are a few that I, I loathe as much as Mourinho. So None. Yeah, I, I mean, and that... Can I just say ahead. a thing on Schadenfreude and fandom and stuff? It's so fucking stupid when, like, you know those arguments you see where journalists get all snooty about football fans being irrational? And I think to myself, you wouldn't have a fucking job if people were rational. Yeah, good it, point. If if fans weren't absolutely nuts, the money wouldn't be in the game. They wouldn't be, you know, it's basically 22 men running around chasing a ball. It, so it's, by definition, slightly nuts. It's now got 40, 50, 60,000 people in the stadium watching it and millions worldwide watching it. And it's not just for the art and the artistry. Otherwise, we'd watch women's gymnastics. I know I would every day of the week. It's mm-hmm. it's for all of the irrational tribal stuff. It's for the, within bands, hatred, detesting. You know, the Jose Mourinho's, uh, uh, the game would be poorer without him and yet infinitely richer without him. And, you know, schadenfreude, that's what he's good for these days. I've got to say, my pet theory on on Mourinho is just simply that his players now know he's a Judas. Mm -hmm. And they saw it at Real, and they saw it at Chelsea, and the word is out, and one or two of the players who played with him at Chelsea are now at United, and I'm not saying they're bad-mouthing him, but it just kind of, the stink is there people know in the old days he was great at the we're in this together we're fighting the world and now all his big name players are just waiting for him to stab him in the back yeah and and there's so much to it right? i mean the, yeah. the mino rayola connection i mean if i'm a player and i'm at manchester united henrik mkhitaryan's an extremely talented player and you buy him to put some coin in your your buddy's pocket and then just refuse to include him in the team like Players see that. They see that they're being treated as chattel, and, and that doesn't go very far. I, I think whatever it was that made his players want to run through a brick wall for him, uh, they now want to run him through a brick wall. And by the way, if I only watched things for art and artistry, I'd probably just watch Bob Ross. Look it oh. up. Google it. Um, you know, like an artist painting on TV. Oh, okay. uh, uh, but, you know, the other thing, the, the reason I think I love this is Finally, all the bullshit, the, the tactical masterclass talk and the, the mind games talk is just being laid bare for what it is. The word in Conte's ear, you know, in years past, yeah. you would have heard, oh, he's a genius. He deflected attention or, oh, he's right. Conte's antics. But now now people are on his bullshit. This yeah. is a guy who did knee slides, you know, yeah. in his suits. I mean, anyway, it's just fucking fantastic. And long may it continue. We play United in three games time in the league, four games time, five games time overall, I guess, and after an international break. So that's up at Old Trafford. There will be uh, plenty of time for us to gnash our teeth over that. But let's get into the Middlesbrough game. We've done well. We've we've stalled for five minutes. Yeah, we've done well to get through four minutes and 45 seconds without discussing it, and and that's the best we can do. Um, Let me ask you this, Paul. The... The result didn't go our way, and we'll get into all the reasons why it didn't. Um, it appeared we missed Santi Cazorla pretty badly, and that there was just a little bit of maybe um, fatigue up front, performances that weren't really uh, the same as we we become accustomed to with players like Awobi and things like that. But for you, is any of the Middlesbrough game reason to go back and question the selection 
in the Ludigritz game, specifically using players like Santi Cazorla, not using a player like Granit Xhaka, who wasn't eligible for this game, and not giving ourselves, you know, that that just that maybe that little bit of freshness that would have been the difference against Burrow. Uh, you could certainly question, and I think there's a, a very good, you know, in hindsight, there's a great case to be made. Um, but, you know... It, I always prefer to make my cases in hindsight. They, yeah. They, they're much more effective. My opinions are much better, yeah. Yeah, um, same here. The, the th- You know, before this game, I was like, oh, I poo-pooed that on the basis that, well, you can say that about any of our key players. I mean... You know, should we not have played Alexis in that game? Should we not have played Ozil? Um, you know, it was Santi who got Well, you injured. still have to win the game, right? I mean, let, you yeah. know, as Arsblog pointed out in the Arscast Extra, I mean, that that could have been a 2-2, you know, at one point in the first half. So it's not like they just rolled over despite the ultimate heavy heavy scoreline. I think the biggest question would have been Santi Cazorla, who did wind up picking up a knock, and now we're not sure how long he'll be out, and, and the- not making use of Granite Shaka, who... Who's yeah. going to miss three games? Yeah, but the challenge with that was playing Granit Xhaka doesn't mean you don't play Santi Cazorla. <laughs> they don't play the same position. Um, so you pick Granit Xhaka. Who do you put beside him to protect Santi Cazorla? I guess you got to play El Neni, which now you're changing how you're going to play quite a bit. Um, and Santi's been playing well. He's not tired. He looks robust. He's well, chugging Well, then along. is the issue... So, so let's get to it then. Is the issue right now that at least with, with Ramsey out, and we don't know what Ramsey's role will ultimately be, there is no midfield where this system works without partnering someone with Santi Cazorla. Is Santi Cazorla the block in Jenga that cannot be removed? For those who don't play Jenga, is he the card in the house of cards that if you tug on it, the whole thing falls apart? Or is that is that too easy an, an ad hoc conclusion from this game? I think, yeah, I think it's, uh, well, it has merit. Um certainly think that... It looked that way at times last season as well. Yeah, uh, so it definitely has merit. I, I don't think it's quite as simple as that because you can argue back that Chaka kind of pretty works well, works well with everybody. It's just it wouldn't have been quite Chaka, Cazorla, or Cazorla and everybody, which is kind of instrumental to how we play at this point in the season. I think Chaka and El Neni can be a fine combination. Chaka, Coquelin for certain games, and obviously Chaka, Cazorla. Um, I think it was more as a manager, you know, we're chugging along, we're playing great football. You kind of want to keep it the the same, and that isn't the time you want to make the change to something else. Uh, look at it another way. He did rotate against Middlesbrough. It was forced on him, but he did it. We sh- we still should have beaten Middlesbrough. You could argue with the different mid- midfield, we should have beaten Ludogratz. Well, you say we should have beaten them, and I, well, I agree with you, we should be, be, be beating Middlesbrough at home. On on the play, on the whole, you know, on the, on the evidence of the game, and on the XG, by the way, which we lost somewhat comprehensively, we shouldn't have beat Middlesbrough. We weren't the better team on the day. Yeah. Uh, well, let's come back to that in a second. Uh, let's okay, just, sure. Let's just talk theoretically, right? In mm-hmm. a sense, we rotated for Middlesbrough, forced on us by an injury. We could have r- rotated earlier against Ludogratz and the, and therefore had a arguably weaker midfield and struggled against Ludogratz. Um, and, and so it's kind of... We're advocating a... 
a chosen rotation instead of a forced on us rotation that might not have been forced on us had we not got injured. I mean, it's a little bit of bad luck. So, you know, it's one of those damned if you do, damned if you don't as a manager standpoint. I'm sure he wanted to keep the momentum going. Um, he had every right to expect Santi would get through that game intact and we'd come along to Middlesbrough and kind of keep the momentum going and then we've got a break during the week where everybody can get a little rest. So I'm sure that's what he was keeping his fingers crossed for. Um, hindsight would say he got it slightly wrong, but welcome to management, I guess. So on to the... Well, maybe we can get into well, who, who was the better team uh, okay, in the well, how, how about this? Let's let's come to that in a minute because yeah. then I want I want to stay on the midfield for a second. Sure. I think this is arguably Coughlin's worst game. Yeah. Um, this season, and obviously, I have not been the biggest Coughlin fan. Although I fully admit that I see what he's been doing this season that works. I think some of our more stale performances early in the season were influenced by his inclusion, but I think against Ludogorets, he was the best example of himself. He was the best version of what he can be. And just to put that into a quick statistical um, uh, analysis, or not even analysis, just uh, give it sort of st- a statistical picture, he made eight tackles, uh, pardon me, eight interceptions and seven tackles against Ludogorets, 15 ball recoveries, two tackles, one interception against Burrow. And I think, Paul, that, that the, the confusion with Coughlin this season for some people is they're calling him our DM, our defensive midfielder. But really, he's been tasked with being front-footed, being that chaos creator, winning the ball high up the pitch. And he did win the ball high up on the pitch. I, I can remember one in particular. He did this sort of split-foot, almost two-footed tackle, but it was, it was a good tackle. Um, really high on the edge of their box and created one of our few... You know, opportunities Bank of the, the game. Ball forward to Theo, who had yep. a chance on goal. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. Um, yep. That's what he's been doing. That's what he's been tasked to do. And actually, the other midfielder, Kazorla uh, in his cases, has been more responsible for the line breaking passes, collecting from the back four, and 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 bringing the ball in into the attack and distributing to those those front three, especially Mesedozo. And on the day. There was a lot of lateral passing. Kazorla and and Shaka pass about 60, 60 plus percent of their passes forward. Elneny and Coughlin, I think, were at about thirty five percent ish forward, and the rest lateral and, and backwards. Yeah. A lot of lateral passes, thirty five forty yards out from goal. A lot of crab passing, so to speak, um, and and it kept everything in front of Middlesbrough, and it didn't allow. Ozil to collect the ball between the lines. It didn't allow Awobi to collect the ball sort of in those half spaces or between the lines where he's been exchanging those passes that have created room for, for Theo and Bellerin to overlap and, and all the things we've seen that have, have been working. I'm doing a little bit of word salad again here. But yeah. but so my question is, Paul, why is it, do you think that the removal of Kazorla had Coughlin feeling more responsible for being part of the passing game and less focused on that front-footed uh, uh, ball recovery. Why wasn't he able to create those ball recoveries? Yeah, well, I think uh, my feeling on it is each pair is has a little bit of a different balance in terms of assignment. In the in the partnership with El Neni, uh, Cockland did really take on by and large the DM role, except for when the when we were really trying to push on with the game as we kind of got a bit more desperate, then he went up to provoke. 
but largely he did play the further further back position and mm-hmm. generally shoveled the ball to El Nenny or somebody else for El Nenny to make the line breaking pass. I thought actually El Nenny was actually pretty decent for most of the game. I mean he's not Cazorla and he's not you know, he doesn't have the vision of an Ozil or whoever. But I thought he actually did pretty good uh, picking out those passes, just not quite good enough. And I agree with you that it was Coquelin's, you could say his worst game. I think it was the game that suited him least this season. Uh, I would diverge from you in terms of assigning blame for the earlier games. We won't get into that. I thought it was actually... Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, let's let's keep it to this one. Let's keep we, it to we've this done one. so many... We've done the Arsenal yeah. Vision Cochlin pod so yeah. many times already. Yeah, so we won't get into that. But uh, so uh, my feeling this one was it wasn't that Coquelin was out of form or played badly. I think this is just a game that did not suit what he brings. In the second half, he started stringing together a few passes, some diagonals, a couple of line splitters. But, you know, it's just, it was him forcing the game. It's not his game. And so I think, for me, um, why we were so poor against Middlesbrough comes down to the pretty much the two things you mentioned. A little bit of sharpness off on so many nearly moments and nearly moves. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a great day for Ozil or Awobi either. I mean, no, I, I don't uh, want to put this all in the midfield. They, or they even Alexis. I didn't see him get much criticism, and I'm not saying a lot of criticism should be given to anybody, but he had a couple of moments in front of goal where, like, there was a moment, I think, uh, like 60 minutes into the game or something like that. He's on the right side of the box. He suddenly threw in in a great spot, and he puts in a really tame shot against Victor Valdez. Yeah, he also had the one where he lobbed it just over Koscielny's head back across goal when maybe yeah, he could have and that slipped is, it in. Yeah, or he he got it six inches lower or a foot lower, anything lower, and Koscielny gets something on that and it gets in. So yeah. it, it's it's hard to criticize, criticize him on any one moment, but I, I'd also take... Uh, I've seen a lot of the comments about they had the better chances. I think they had the best final chances, but we had lots of really good chances that don't necessarily... Like, that's zero XG, right? That particular right, of move. Right, co- of course, because so, it doesn't result in a shot. And we discussed that kind of like yeah. the Oxlade-Chamberlain where he could have slid a ball easily over to Theo for a tap-in and kind of neither here nor there against yeah. Ludogorets. That so, doesn't uh, register an XG. So but I, think I, w- where, I won't quibble too ahead. much on who had the better chances, but if you dial it back just one more pass or, like, add in all your near misses, you know, you you could... Uh, we had... Well, they had, what, 35% possession. So, yeah. obviously, with all of our possession, we created some dangerous moves. Yeah. Um, we just needed little quality. That's the problem. That's one of the problems with the XG. It's, like, as you pointed out, it's a shot-based metric. We had lots of really good positions, lots of almost balls, lots of passes that were, you know, a foot too far, uh, six inches too high, in great positions. So... But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, the, the the other thing you see, though, you know, to me, when when you have El Nenny and, and Coughlin in the midfield together, they don't have to be. You know, Middlesbrough didn't press our midfield. They gave yeah. Coughlin and El Nenny room, and then put intense pressure on the rest of the players. And I think what they're basically saying is, we don't believe you can pick 
you can the break pass us down. to unlock us. We don't yeah. believe you can fit the ball into the half spaces or find Ozil on the edge, you know, at the D or or find Alexis leaning on off the shoulder of the last defender. And that worked. They were able to keep the ball in front of them. And, and, and also more often depressed. than not confronted. Yeah, I think you're well, right. I was just going to say more often than not confronted with a cluster of players in front of them, Coughlin and El Nenny opted to swing the ball out to wider positions. Um, yeah. I think, and, and that's I think El not Nenny did. Those, go ahead. El Nenny did better on that. But yeah, as a pairing, they were way off what you're looking for in terms of line breaking or moving the ball more quickly. I mean, it was often play it to Coquelin so he can just roll it to El Nenny. It's like that's slowing things down, not speeding it up. Well, and, and you know how you notice that is at, as the game progressed, Mustafi and Koscielny were coming yeah. 20, 30 yards into the opposition half and they starting the attack. Midfield, yeah. They did join the midfield. And, you know, I don't think that that is um, always a bad thing, mm. you know, because, you know, you, you add an extra, an extra passer, an extra attacker. And when they're sitting that deep, sometimes you have to do that. But I think that was in direct response to not having yeah. that. You wanted that to add Cazorla not to compensate. Or, or, yes. Yeah. yeah, that's right. But the, the other point I was going to make was them playing a low block and being so compact and not contesting the midfield, not putting up a midfield, was one of the reasons Cockland's numbers look so shit from a tackle's interception standpoint. There was nobody to tackle and intercept for most of it apart from a breakaway. And, uh, and well, well, there's another reason too, right? I mean, if you're playing the ball out wide... And that's where your attacks are breaking down. Yeah. You're not in a situation where, I mean, a lot of times the ball would, the, the attacks would break down out wide yeah. or with crosses that didn't find their home because we were forced wide. And he couldn't that's jump easier on the for scraps. Them. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, what would happen is, you know, when you have a situation where Cazorla or, or, or well, it, it's been Cazorla and Cochran. So let's say Cazorla is putting balls into Ozil mm. on the D and Alexis there and, and Theo, you know, coming in from the channel if those balls aren't finding their home or if they're being dispossessed, you're in a position in the center of the pitch where Coughlin can decide, I'm going to step up here yeah. and win the ball back. Um, he can go you know, and cha- Yeah, that's right. I, I think that's a really good point. When he plays with Cazorla, I mean, they don't have a pure breakdown between the two of them in terms of responsibilities, but very often Coughlin will go forward and chase the play and try and provoke something and feed on scraps. With Partnering with El Nenny for most of the game, he was the midfield anchor, and El Nenny was free to roam. So, yeah. Uh, and well, the, and let, let's yeah. be clear about something too, Paul. I mean, Coughlin's defensive contribution is not the traditional. Like, so when Coughlin mm. made his his quote unquote breakthrough, it was the Manchester City game, and for the duration of that season, his contribution was a shield. He was a shield to the back four, yeah. and he added stability, a solidity, and steel ahead of the back four, sweeping up those vast swaths of of, of defensive third that were often left exposed. Agreed? Yeah. That was how he was deployed? Well, this yep. season, that's not the case, as we've discussed. His heat map is further up. He's playing further yep. up the pitch. He's often more advanced than Cazorla, and he's he's pinching you know, to, to create those transitions. But what that means is he's not the shield. He's not back there. And so the notion that playing Coughlin makes us more defensive is wrong. Coughlin makes us more uh, effective in pressing, and he makes us more dangerous in transition in that respect. But arguably, it, it doesn't add anything to our defensive solidity. So let's talk about that. Right now, we're one long ball to a pacey winger, strong pacey winger away from being under threat. Um, some of that is... People identifying that Monreal's a little off form and Awobi doesn't cover for him as well. 
Some of that is just because we are playing such a high line. And, you know, as Wenger said after the match, when you play as offensively as we are right now, not offensively as in an offended by it, but attacking sense, um, it, you're just going to concede more chances. But, you know, how worried are you that when we come up against a guy like a Lukaku, for example, that we won't be as fortunate? We, you know, we've seen some profligacy from the guys that have been attacking us. Is this system headed for potentially a, a little hiccup in the near future where maybe we, we do get punished for that vulnerability? Um, yeah, no, no, yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's risk-reward. Um, and I, we can live with that, right? I mean, yeah. there's nothing wrong with saying we're going to press and we're going to be attacked. I mean, look at Liverpool. Liverpool doesn't concede a lot of chances, but they concede some of the highest quality chances in the Premier League, and they concede goals. Yeah, so, classic Arsenal. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. We, we always said, oh, we concede one shot and we give up a goal, but that's the trade-off for trying to create chances to score three, four, five goals. I think so. I mean, uh, where I feel uneasy at the moment is Monreal, not even Monreal's wing. Uh, I mean, I do definitely think he's being exposed at the moment. Uh, you know, have Pacey winger, put him on Monreal at the moment. And I think it's a little bit... Uh, you know, the Iwobi argument, where do they think is going to be when we get counterattacked? He's not going to be down with Monreal. He's going to be up front, um, you know, trying to make something happen. He's basically going to be in the same spot as Theo. I mean, Theo... But Monreal doesn't have the recovery speed that Bellerin does. So sure. what do you do? I mean, if you can put a ball in, you know, just, let's say, five yards past the half, mid, you know, the, the midfield stripe on, on our left flank... And let a winger run onto it and know that he's going to be one-on-one with somebody. You know, and by the way, I don't think it was Koscielny's best day defensively, although he had an amazing tackle late. But other than that, it was a bit of an off day. I mean... Yeah. But but the Monreal point, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, that's not going to get fixed anytime soon. Um well, I mean, what we had done Alexa, for some games this season is Monreal had been the one of the two fullbacks who would sit a little deeper, and Bellerin was the one who but would even play when more he sits, Yeah, but Monreal sitting deeper hasn't been the problem. Um, he's gotten skinned wherever he's. Yeah, no, that, that's that's fair. One on one, he's been he's been uh, he's he's struggled, and we saw that. I mean, look, Adama Traore gave gave us trouble, and. You know, there's there's a reason he was seen as such a bright prospect. He's powerful. He's quick. That gives that gives teams trouble, especially when they're not defending in numbers. Quick, powerful players love that kind of space to run into, and he had that space to run into. Yeah. Um, and can I say I'm not? You know, I love Montreal, and I'm not picking on him because I'm late to the game. I remember the conversation we had earlier in our podcast season when you when you said I don't criticize anybody, and I said. I I scratched my head a little bit and I said, "All right, Montreal," and that was before <laughs> all the shit was hitting the fan, right? Because yeah, because I, I haven't felt he's as strong right from the start of this season, and I like Gibbs more than you do and more than Tim does, and Gibbs isn't going to get skinned. So, uh, I, well, I, maybe I no I, I look Gibbs. I think definitely is making a case. I think he'll play against Reading. I think we already know yeah. that. And uh, if he has another good match... he's going to be captain, according to yeah. the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So if he has another good match, I could I could see him rotating in for the Sunderland game. But, yeah. uh, okay, well, you know, the, 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 the question had kind of come up recently, where is Ramsey going to fit back in? Mm. Um, 
Is this the first game we've seen this season where you could see, aha, this is where we could have used Ramsey. We we could have used his secondary runs, his willingness to shoot from distance, his willingness to try, you know, sometimes to his detriment, the more creative or extravagant piece of skill in midfield. Was this the first time you felt his absence keenly in a game? Yeah, I think so. Um, we brought on Ox interestingly and, and stationed him in midfield to kind of we need, yeah we need i think the manager has been spot on a lot this season he spotted that we needed something Somebody to, to make us more them. dynamic in midfield yeah yeah and uh, the problem would have been who would you partner him with um on the day um if it were ramsey so um i mean the Cochrane well we've ramsey, seen ramsey Cochrane, and it it it's it been pretty. a scary kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And maybe it wouldn't have mattered but, but on we this day. we were deploying Cochran differently then, right? I mean, it was Cochran sitting deep, not yeah, able not to— differently to right. how he was used. At, I mean, Middlesbrough, you, you, I agree with your point generally on how he's been used, but to say that means he's no longer able to be a shield, he is when he's deployed that way, and he was largely against Middlesbrough. Um, you know, when he's partnered with El Nenny, he's the shield. When he's partnered right. with Ramsey, he's the shield. We just haven't seen him use that very, way very often. He's played along cha- alongside Chaka and played a bit more like he plays with Cazorla. Slightly different responsibilities, but Chaka sits the little, a little bit deeper, is kind of the anchor, plays more centrally. Uh, so almost every time he's played, to your point, he's he's had a freer role to go where the action is defensively or attacking-wise. But if it's going to be Ramsey on his shoulder, then he's sitting and Ramsey's going forward. Same largely with Elneny. They can interchange a little bit, but Mm -hmm. I think nine times out of ten it was Coquelin who gave Elneny his head to move into space, pick a pass, push forward, etc. This was a game where I think we saw the best of Petr Cech. Um, Yeah. There had been some question about whether he's faded a little bit and even some suggestion that Ospina might be the better of the two right now. This was a great game for Czech. And the the one that I loved, remember when he scrambled across his goal to block the point-blank header? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. He stood big on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, was it against Gaston Ramirez? Or I, I don't I don't know. Um, Negredo. I have no ne- idea. Was it Negredo? I don't know. Does Gaston Ramirez even play for Middlesbrough? That doesn't sound right. G- somebody called Gaston does. Okay, so, well, anyway... Um, I think that was a moment also where Ospina doesn't... You know, Ospina's biggest problem I've spotted other than just commanding the area uh, against, you know, set pieces and things is scrambling across his goal mouth. Mm. He really struggles, and he tends to drop into the goal. Interesting. We've well, seen he, that. Well, I've definitely seen that last Yeah, bit. yeah, we, we've seen that. I mean, he's, he, great, he's, at quick getting, to, he, he's great He's great getting at getting the down line. the shots. Yes, yeah. he's quick off his line, and he's great to getting the shots, but he's not great at scrambling across his goal mouth, and he often drops into the goal. I Check think it's there. the same thing. I think he hates the line. That's why he's so fast <laughs> off it. Yeah, he, That's he, why he falls back from it. Yeah, anywhere but on the line. Hates well, the Czech line. makes the great save there. Um a lot of times people say you are lucky not to lose when your keeper plays well, but your keeper is lucky, one of the players. Lucky bastard. Well, well, that's the point, right? I mean, when a keeper has a great game, you're not unlucky to lose. That yeah. player was good. Um, yeah. So was Czech your man of the match? Yeah. Ultimately? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those he's got Be- no... Better pl- to draw this nil-nil than lose it, right? I mean, there's a, <laughs> I, did, I mean, I know that's obvious, but... Actually, when I watched it, 
uh, about 80 minutes the phrase, Arson's phrase about if you cannot win it, you must not lose it came to mind or words to that effect. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, this this was that game. It was inter- I listened And to we lose on. this game before. We've, we've lost yeah. this game before. Yeah. And you can say luck and that kind of stuff, but funny how often luck follows you earning it, even if you can't quite see the invisible lines. Uh, I mean, I do feel... We were lucky in some ways, but they were bloody lucky too. Um, at the end of the day, I think it was a fair result. Uh, it was just excruciating. I mean, it, I think we'd all say it feels like a loss because... Uh, well, the run we've been on, it's home to a newly yeah. promoted side. The, the other results had gone our way. We could have been alone at, atop the table. And yeah, and we're getting have, to the end of the an easy run as well. You have the in your head that says champions win that game. They... They sneak a go, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just feels like no matter what, you, what way you slice it, it was way more two points lost. Um, you know, in a way, I'm, I'm kind of happy <laughs> in this sense. We were due a regression to some extent because we'd been outperforming XG. Um, you know, the goals didn't go in today, so maybe we can start outperforming XG again. We got our regression. We can okay. move on. Get it out of the way. Um so I'll ask you this hypothetical. Mm. You know, I've seen a lot of people on, on Twitter and in blogs and, and on podcasts suggesting, well, I haven't seen them on podcasts, Idiots. I've heard them, suggesting that Olivier Giroud would have been very handy in this game yeah. as a plan B late. I'm skeptical okay. because I hate Olivier Giroud. No, wait, that's not <laughs> what I meant. I'm skeptical because um, Middlesbrough are big and strong and tall, and they are good at stopping what Giroud is good at doing. I think playing to a target man against the size and strength of Middlesbrough is arguably playing into their hands. Now, I get people saying, well, it wasn't working. We needed a plan B. Hypothetically, which player would have been more handy for the last half hour in your mind? Aaron Ramsey or Olivier Giroud? Uh, I'm going to go with Giroud. Just A, because it'll give I'm you a chance. Ramsey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm setting you up so you can do your Thank take. Thank you. But... I mean, the reasons why are obvious. It gives you a an actual target man who's a target. You can run simple in your game. Uh, you can start peppering it in there when nothing else is working. Uh, plus, it's something very completely different, as will Ramsey be when you get to your spiel. So, I, I, and I think Giroud's been pretty good at scoring when he comes on after 30 minutes or 25 minutes. I don't know what the stats are, but I think I saw something at some stage and it certainly tallies with how I feel about him that he does pretty well when he comes in late. So I definitely would have liked... And, and particularly because I'm still not sure how Ramsey would have fitted into the other personnel around him at the time. Maybe it didn't matter in the last 20 minutes because it's a scramble, but on the basis that you must not lose it if you can't win it, I think you do have to think... How does Ramsey come into that? If you bring him on from the right or give him a free roll somehow, basically make him the number 10 and 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 have, you know, Cockland, El Nenny behind him or something like that, okay. But otherwise, if Cockland-Ramsey doesn't work, um, you could well be exposed in the midfield. I don't know if that had been much difference to Cockland. Uh, ox in in all truths, but anyway, that's my yeah. I love it I over mean, to I, you. I, I would say so. Here's my thought, right? Just because I'm skeptical of the notion that we would have been successful playing balls into the box to to Giroud, given what Middlesbrough are good at, um, 
I think I would have preferred Ramsey. And I, I really think that, you know, you're already pushing your, your midfielder so far up the pitch. If you look at the pass maps, Coughlin and, and El Nenny were playing, you know, 35 and the heat maps were playing 35 yards out from goal anyway. It's not like anyone was sitting back. I think you could have brought Ramsey on, maybe played Ramsey with Oxlade Chamberlain, but, you know, maybe brought Ox on instead for an Awobi instead of Lucas or, you know, Lucas on. Anyway, I think Ramsey's willingness to to be the furthest runner, to make the, the deepest run, to run in behind, to have that knack, like I said, for playing that extravagant ball that, that some of the other guys won't try, just rating himself to, to try certain things that maybe we didn't have anyone try, trying to pull off on the day. Yep. I think it would have created more of that havoc and that chaos and that movement and and ultimately the best chance for a goal. And it's not because I don't rate Giroud. It's because I think you would have been bringing on a battering ram against whatever a battering ram's kryptonite is. But, uh, if I could make a quick but, yeah. uh, Ollie does very well against uh, centre-backs that he might struggle with over 90 minutes when he comes on with 20 minutes to go. He's got the fresh legs. He looks lively. No, that's true. Yeah. Uh, they got tired legs. Let um, me agree to this. Yeah. Having having him would have been handy too. I, I'm saying yeah. of the two, I think Ramsey sure. could have made a difference. Of the one, I would have been happy to see uh, Olivier come on. Absolutely. Um, you know, you're going to get off days mm. from your best players, but I, I think... Mesut Ozil has really thrived on the the delivery of the ball that he's received from from central midfield, and I don't know that he received the ball in the same dangerous spaces on the day that that he had been from Kazorla, from from Shaka, and from Awobi, who also I thought I thought was poor. And I think it's a, it's if you can see a home for Ramsey as a starter regularly, it may ultimately be in Awobi's position more often than not because. He is a young player. He is going to struggle for consistency. There's no way he can play every game, game in, game out at the same level. I mean, is that, the more you think about it, is that arguably where he'll slot in as yep. opposed to one of the two central midfielders? Yeah, I think so. I think it uh, solves all the problems um, in one sense. I mean, it, it creates the, well, what about a Wobie and what he brings? But I think... They bring a lot of the same, the kind of joker factor, the guy making the runs. I mean, one of the things about uh, you like about Ramsey is he'll actually get in behind, and Iwobi hasn't done that for a while. He likes to play in front of their back line and kind of one-two somebody else through, put the ball yeah. through for somebody else, and which is great. I mean, it's you know we've seen in recent times him swinging the ball uh, on a diagonal up to Theo or somebody else, and putting them in a great spot. Um, so they do somewhat different things, but I definitely think that's the easiest swap. But that would mean Ramsey on the left, which I think you and Tim were quite comfortable with, but I didn't. I haven't seen that that much. Um, so I'd, I've seen him go to the left to interplay with other players. I haven't really seen him start from the left. Um, but no, but I, I just don't think you can touch Theo's position at the moment, right? No, 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 no. And you know, for Ramsey, I I don't know that the, the wing you start on matters that much. He's going to move not. all over the place. Yeah, and um, he is right-footed, and he is going to want yeah. to cut in a lot. And you know, he's he, going to wind up more central than than on the wing anyway. Yeah. And that's kind of what Awobi's been doing, also. Um, let me ask you this too: the way we're playing now, we're pressing more, we're more front-footed. That takes a lot of energy. I mean, you see it with with 
a team like Liverpool, who was dominant against West Brom for so long and then could have potentially let them get something from that match in the end because at about 70 minutes, their legs went. Um, and they don't have European football, so they can afford to play with that intensity every single weekend. Do you think the way we're playing now makes it even harder to turn around from a midweek game? Uh, yeah, I mean, Arson definitely talked about tiredness. But, I mean, there's, it also gives you a momentum and energy that helps carry you forward. So uh, I think it'll be more a case in January, February, March of this year where it's like a long... I, I don't think it's a good enough excuse at this point. Um, I think we've played differently in previous seasons and still had the excuse after a Wednesday that we were tired on the Saturday. I think whatever tiredness might have been, what additional tiredness might have been there because we've had a more uh, pressing, more front-footed approach. You know, you got that energy you have from things going well. Things are a lot easier. The effort is always a lot easier when the team's doing well, you're feeling good about yourself. Um, so at this point, I don't think it's any kind of explanation for Middlesbrough, apart from, yeah, we were a bit tired because we played on a Wednesday. We'd have been okay. tired anyway. But, yeah, I, I but think January, February, yeah, I could see that, that really starting to hit us when on top of everything, you know, you might have lost a game, drawn a game, etc., and then, then you're really going to feel it. Yeah, I, I think for me that it's hard to evaluate factors for why we struggled aside from that midfield was the again I, yeah. I don't want to put all the blame on him but nope. that midfield really lacked the dynamism the direct forward passing the the creativity to find players in spaces where they could be dangerous and I think everything kind of flowed from there yeah um and, I, and, I, and I do think it's a matter of degree I mean uh, we talked about that you and you me and the lads over the weekend and I went back and looked at it, and, and then you start seeing that actually Cochlan put a, broke a few lines with his passes, and El Nenny was, a, as I thought, he, he was pretty good at it. But it's a matter of degree, because Orla's great at it, and the yeah. understanding between him and the other players was there, and this was, this was quite... I mean, there's a substantially different midfield, even saying Cochlan's played a lot of games. To your point... He, He's kind of like a new player. He was playing a different position, doing a different thing. It was kind of like a different midfield and not the midfield we needed on the day. I thought all ne El Nenny was okay, pretty good, but you needed a really incisive, line-breaking, line passing pairing in midfield, and we just didn't have that. Yeah, and it's, it's not just the line-breaking. I mean, to me... It's about the body shape when you receive the ball and where you're looking. There was one moment where Cochran received the ball dead center, maybe 35 yards out, and he was in the right body position to play a really nice one-time, first-time pass to Ozil mm. right at the top of the box. I think I remember that. And it that. created an opportunity, and it was one of the very, very yep. few times he did it, and it's partly because he often receives the ball on the turn to where he's turning away from the attack to kind of shield it. Yeah. which forces him to fully turn his body around. And, and by that point, you know, the defense can recover their position and your easiest pass then is is laterally. Yeah. Um, I mean, he has I an just, inconsistent... Mostly it's okay, but he has an inconsistent touch. So he do, to your point, he does tend to protect that touch. Yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think at all... I mean, since we're doing the hindsight thing, 
that maybe the right thing would have been to to appeal the the Shaka red card. Yeah. I mean, I look, there's every chance it would have been turned down. I don't think there's much chance of another game being added for frivolous appeal, um, which, of course, would have led to him missing the derby. Who knows if he'll be picked. Odds are to be Cazorla and, and Coughlin if they're both available. But um, he he's certainly a player now with, with Cazorla injured, and we don't really know for how long. We thought it wasn't going to be much, but the manager's been coy on that. So yeah. You think, you fact, think the right call would have been to Yeah, to I mean, it. we could have gone in with the evidence that um, what's his face? That Mustafi tackle that, 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 <laughs> that guy. Yeah, the rugby no tackle. No attempt to at the ball. And I we're mean, like, that's the funny thing. We saw multiple challenges like that across the Premier League this weekend. Like, yeah. I don't care. That if, was on the edge of the box. Bloody what's yeah. his face was before the the halfway line. The I think that's trip, our, yeah. yeah, that's our proof. So, yeah. Um, there was the the Ozil goal miles offside late. I, oh, I know from our. I was offline. convinced. Convinced. It was a goal. I was like, it was that moment. What was it? 89 minutes or something yeah. like that. I'm like, oh, we've done it. And, and we Ozil, hadn't done it. We, we, he was a fucking mile off, that he imposter. Was off, yeah. he, he was running like, I mean, come on. He must have known. He knows. He? he knows the pitch way too well and space way too well to know he's offside. The funny thing is we had just discussed on the previous pod the, or, the Orbino stat that Arsblog had asked for on Twitter that, that Ozil's offside at like twice the rate he was previous seasons. I love that he's getting into those positions. Yeah. That one, though, maybe a little bit lazy. Um, I, I think that pretty much covers it for the match. I guess... You know we're we're gonna concede some chances on the counter the way we're playing right now. I I yeah. I don't know. You know it'd be easy we are to be a little about... bit dodgy at the centre backs as well. I mean I don't want to assign blame as to it being that, but it's a little bit more than Monreal, isn't it? I guess I thought Koscielny was really poor on the day by his high standards, with the exception of that one miracle tackle. Um, yeah. he he got worked over by Traore, but you know to be fair. There are a lot of skillful players in the Premier League, but there aren't going to be a lot of very strong, very fast players. That's yeah. not a thing you see a lot. You He's know? a ringer. Do they have ringers in, Amer- in uh, American yeah, sports? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, this guy well, who happens to be a mate of some guy who, who yeah. shows up, who shows up, and it turns out he played like Division One college basketball and you yeah. know, he scores like forty I, points. I played against this guy game. who was like built like a brick fucking shit house. Uh, and it, he was actually a uh, Leeds United squad member, and it became apparent to me why about you know five minutes into it. I mean, he scored like a worldie from a third way down to the pitch. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so ringers. Yeah, this guy was a yeah. fucking ringer. I don't know where. Well, he was I mean, from. and Barrow gave us trouble, and same yeah. kind of thing. Big, strong, quick. I think Lukaku is an example of someone who you know could could be problematic for us. Um, but we can live with the sort of more, I mean, even Diego Costa, who, who's not slow, we dealt with him pretty well. I think, Yeah. you know, he also comes from more central position. Um, yeah. anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll have more time to sort of evaluate that to see if stylistically we're opening ourselves up to teams possibly starting to figure out how we're playing and, and how to attack it. We'll, we'll find out. Um, it's capital one cup or I guess it's not capital one cup. It's EFL, uh, the League Cup tomorrow, when you're listening to this, it'll be today. Much changed side. Uh, obviously, I don't think we will see any uh, regular first-team players, or you know, maybe maybe a couple of them. Yeah, smattering. Do you... It's it's against Reading. I think this is the 7-5 game last time we played them in this competition. Do you care at all what happens in this game? Yeah. 
You do? Yeah. I love it. Okay. I'm just curious. No, I mean, like, no, I absolutely like, let's put this love way. It. Let's uh, say we trot out a, you know, a, a, a very heavily rotated side and lose. Would yeah. you be furious that we took it lightly, quote unquote? No, I, I rarely. Look, I don't think the manager ever takes it lightly. Well, what, what I mean is. But, and I'm not I'm, arguing with you, I'm arguing with the people who say. Who get all pissy about it? And uh, he, it he's not respecting the competition. Yeah, all that no, fucking I, shite. I, I guess what I mean is, which would you prefer? Hmm. I guess what I'm saying is, would you prefer that he doesn't rotate and puts out a full strength side? No, he's definitely. He's got to. I try know he's and not going it. to. Yeah, yeah. I, he's got to try and win it with a fairly well rotated side. I mean, he's tipped his hat a little bit in that he's said Gibbs. Um, I think he said Ramsey Giroud. Giroud? Yep. Ramsey's not ready, I think he said. He's in full training, but not, not back. Oh, that wasn't the and, thing I'd seen written up. And I suspect enough. that could be because he wants to reintroduce him against Sunderland. Okay. Good. I think, you know, at this point, you know, it's kind of like, I almost feel like we're at the point now where... But he wouldn't start him against Sunderland. He'd put him on the bench. No, I get... But but it's it's kind of like a plane coming into position to land, I feel like. So we've All had right. this quote-unquote easy run of fixtures, right? And here's how I see it. And he gets the Shaka red card, and he says, all right, I'm going to play Coughlin against Ludogorets because I want to make sure Coughlin and Cazorla is still as good as I think it is because yes. I've been playing Shaka. And he says, you know, I want to get this guy in and see him here and this guy in and see him here. And I think the reason is we're coming into that Spurs-United back-to-back fixtures. Now, granted, they're separated by um, an international break, but I think he needs to know at the end of this run of quote-unquote easy fixtures, which ends with Sunderland the weekend, what squad he prefers, who his best team is, who his players are. I think you'll want to get Ramsey involved at the weekend if he can, understand how he slots into the team. I think he wanted to get a good long look at at Cazorla and Coughlin again. Injury obviously disrupted that. To understand, am I really going to stick with Coughlin for the big games or is Shaka the guy I want in there? I think the manager is trying to make sure he knows who that preferred team is as we line up to, to hit the runway for those two big fixtures. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I would go with Occam's razor answer, though, which is Ramsey continues to have niggly issues and they're worried. But but that's kind of the boring answer. I think there's a lot of merit to yours. I don't know if he's really that many games ahead in, in terms of thinking about Spurs or whatever, but I think the general logic uh, is right. I definitely think the reason... Uh, that he wanted to see Santi and Cazorla together in terms of how they play, uh, and also Santi and Cochran. Yeah, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> S- Santi and Cazorla play brilliantly together they as did. they are the same person. Really, and they're so small they can really only be together. So yeah, yeah I, I I think he wanted he definitely wanted to play that pairing specifically together for Ludogorets, um, and I think for many of the reasons you talked about. So okay. But, yeah. Go ahead, sorry. You, I was just going to say, I do think that the most likely thing with Ramsey is it, it, it's it, it's really the simpler answer that they're having trouble getting him back to full fitness, whatever's going on, and they're a bit concerned. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there were some rumors that Ramsey's been frustrated with how injuries have been handled with him in the past, and maybe given that it was a relatively easy run of fixtures and given that they want him around and to not be pissed off about being injured again. They're just being really extra cautious. We'll mm-hmm. see. Um, so it's, it's uh, league cup 
tomorrow, today, when you're listening to this, then at Sunderland at the weekend, uh, we will have podcasts after both, I am sure. Um, I would say, you know, obviously we know we'll see a heavily rotated side. Hopefully we'll get some good news on Cazorla's injury this week and he can come back into the side. But, you know, the bright side is we're right there. I mean, I think there are still questions about this squad, but all you can ask about at this point in the season is your title opportunity still exists. And if you're joint top of the league, it still exists. The scary thing about this season is, you know, it's so congested up there, you could just as easily see it being a title-winning season as a fifth-place season just because there are so many legitimately strong, strong sides. Um, There was an AGM today as we're recording this. There's plenty of information out there about it, but the reason Tim can't be available is he attended the AGM and he has several write-ups to do, so you can probably go to uh, ArsBlog, I would imagine, be a great place to look look for his report from the AGM if you're interested in that. Um, I think the biggest thing to come out of that that I can just mention off the top of my head is some of the people that were there tweeted that the manager's speech sounded like a farewell speech, but who the heck knows? Um, Bollocks. Yeah, I... I, I think, that, you know, there's bollocks. no way to know. Anyway, um, okay, so, Paul, we will uh, we'll talk to you after the next couple of games. Thanks for joining me to discuss what was a riveting nil-nil. You can find Paul on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, uh, my name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Don't forget to give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to this. And the the best thing you can do is then say all the really nasty stuff you think in the in the body of the review because the five-star review will draw attention to it people are like oh a five-star review but then then they'll see all the bile and the hatred and the nastiness and that's that's how to do it that's just pro tip and that's um, anyway, what our supporters do best that's what we do um okay anyway it's uh it's a pleasure as always we will hopefully have something as entertaining as the seven five um and with a similar result and we will talk to you after that game cheers enjoy the football 